morning. Our first reading for today is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves flowing cloths. Our second reading is Romans chapter um, 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, welcome. Uh, those of you who are uh, new to our service, we are going through, going through a series of sermons on the New City Catechism. Um, but before that, just a couple things. Um, I've noticed that some of you have already started posting uh, pictures for the BLT. Uh, those of you who missed the sermon last week, um, you can catch it on the website. Um, we're encouraging the church this year to really make an effort to have face-to-face -face conversations and meetings and to uh, post pictures of those meetings. And so I was glad to see that this week already uh, a number of you have started to do that. Also, I want to, just, again, remind you and alert you and encourage you 
to make an effort during this season of Lent, which will begin in two weeks, to come to church early and attend the theology question and answer time, where we'll be going through questions about scripture, about its reliability and application. Uh, so I want to encourage you to come to that at 10 o'clock. And then also to stay after the worship service for a time of small group Bible study uh, just during the season of Lent. So I'm asking you again to commit six weeks, six Sundays. Uh, we'll have lunch, we'll have child care. And so for those six Sundays to come early and to stay later and to just engage with one another uh, in times of study and fellowship. So uh, I hope you can all uh, do that. The New City Catechism, the next several weeks, some of the answers are a little bit long. And so if you haven't been doing this already, I really, 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 really cannot stress enough, please listen to the songs. They, they will help you from them. So uh, if you haven't been doing that already, uh, I really want to encourage you to uh, listen to the songs to help you in the memory of catechism answers. All right, so let's uh, review very quickly. Beginning with question one, I invite you to close your eyes as you have them memorized, uh, otherwise to recite uh, along with everyone else uh, as you read them. Question one, what is our only hope in life and death? Question two, what is God? Question three, how many persons are there in God? Question four, how and why did God create us? Question five, what else did God create? Question six, how can we glorify God? Question seven, what does the law of God require? Question eight, what is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Question 13, I uh, remember we're skipping a few. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And today we're going to take a look at question 14. Did God create us unable to keep his law? Answer? So I, I know some of you aren't going to be able to memorize all that, so at least memorize the first word, okay? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for uh, this day. And uh, we ask that we might hear your word and then help obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon title this morning, Unde Malum, is a Latin phrase meaning whence evil or where does evil come from? It happens to be the title of a poem by a poet whose name I apologize now for butchering, uh, Thaddeus Rosewish. And it begins this way, where does evil come from? What do you mean where? From a human being, always a human being, and only a human being. And the poem goes on then to argue that the earth and nature are pure and innocent, and that it is humanity and humanity alone that has brought evil upon the earth. 
Evil does not come from an absence or out of nothingness. Evil comes from a human being and only a human being. That poem elicited another poem by another Polish poet, whose name I'm also apologizing for mispronouncing, Szeslaw uh, Milosz. This is what poets do, they write poems against each other. And in response to the first poem, he wrote this. So let man exterminate his own species. The innocent sunrise will illuminate a liberated flora and fauna where oak forests reclaim the post-industrial wasteland. And the blood of a deer torn asunder by a pack of wolves is not seen by anyone. A hawk falls upon a hare without witness. Evil disappears from the world and consciousness with it. Of course, dear Thaddeus, evil and good come from man. The way I read this, the second poem challenges this romantic view of the first poem that nature is good and that humanity is evil. But the second poem points out that nature is also very violent and deadly. And for the deer torn asunder by a pack of wolves, nature is not innocent or neutral. But these categories of good and evil are only meaningful because we are human beings, right? The deer does not ask about evil. Only people do. And, and this question of evil, or where does evil come from, and why is there evil, has been one that has long plagued humanity. Now, today, for many secular materialists and atheists, the answer is a simple one uh, in that they point simply to genetic survival, right? The transmission of genes, that's it. When a lion kills and eats a deer or maims another lion to take over a pride, it's not evil, it's, it's just nature. It's survival and passing on the best genes in that species so that the next generation of that species can have a better chance of survival. Now, we apply that to humanity, we take out God, and there's then no compelling reason to reject ideologies that posit that one particular race or group of people is superior to others, right? If you think that Aryans, for example, are the best and, uh, and the strongest, then it makes sense that you would want to preserve those genetic lines. You could even argue for the sake of humanity and wipe out other gene lines. There's no reason to spend limited resources on human beings who are sick, who are vulnerable, who require uh, expensive medical treatments and interventions to keep them alive when they are not going to add to the betterment of the human gene pool. Or even more selfishly, that's not going to benefit my particular set of genes. Right? And that's actually a very widely held view. I mean, people won't state it maybe so starkly, but it's quite a common belief. Others who are more optimistic argue that you know, the human race, we're still kind of in uh, juvenile or infancy, and that in time, as education gets better, as technology progresses, that we will find ways to uproot evil, injustice, and, and social institutions that oppress other human beings. And still others view the world more dualistically, that forces of good, or these categories of good and evil, are uncreated and in equal measure in this sort of cosmic, uh, eternal battle, 
right? That's a, it's the premise of Star Wars uh, as well as some other uh, religions and philosophies. Unde malum, whence evil? Where does this come from? The Christian response, the Christian explanation has always been that it is a result of sin. It is a result of sin. It is what we commonly call the, the fall and the doctrine of original sin. Now, I know it's a heavy topic. Um, my kids uh, were taught to read using a system of phonics called primary phonics. And uh, the first book in this system is Mac and Tab. Mac and Tab. And uh, the first thing they teach them is the ah sound in phonics, right? So Mac and Tab, uh, cat, rat, hat, right? That's how, they, that's how they were taught to read. So page one, there is a picture of a smiling cat and the sentence, Tab is a cat. That's the first sentence that they were being taught to read on their own. Second page, Tab has a pal. The pal is Mac. So it's, a, it's just, again, a, this nice, friendly cat, and this rat is, you know, sitting on top of him. Third page, Mac is a rat. Mac has a hat, right? So that's, that's how we teach our kids how to read. In our children's literature and teaching them to read, we ignore the fact, we completely ignore the fact, we lie to them that a cat and a rat are not going to be friends, right? That a rat is not going to wear a hat. Truthfully, it should read, Tab is a cat. Tab likes to eat rats like Mac. That's the way it should read. Right? Now, no one's going to write that book, not today. But they used to. If you were a child in this country in the 17th, at the end of the 17th century, instead of Mac and Tab, you would have been taught to read, to learn your ABCs, probably using the New England primer. The first sentence in the New England primer is A is for Adam, and it says this. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And for C, it says, the cat doth play and after slay. Can I get those pictures up? So there's a tab as a pal. The pal is Max. That, I mean, so friendly, large font, right? Isn't that it's a, it's a nice thing to read? But if you were reading the New England primer, you see what you're being taught? Look at that. The cat does, but look at those rats. They're going to get eaten. Now, E is an eagle, an eagle, an eagle's flight is out of sight. This is not a reference to anything to do with the Super Bowl today. It just happens to, <laughs> just happens to be there. I just want to make that clear. Um, the idle fool is whipped at school, right? I mean, this is, this is how you were taught how to read. Letter T, time cuts down all, both great and small. I mean, think about that. You teach, right? Think about your kids when they're like, I don't know, three, four, five, teaching them. Time cuts down all, both great and small. You, Uriah's lovely wife, made David seek his life. The letter X, Xerxes the Great did die, and so must you and I. Right? Not very cheerful. But, 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 it's much more realistic about life, Right? The cat doth play and after slay is much more a reality check than Tab has a pal and the pal is Mac. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go back to the New England Primer, okay? Just, um, 
But the primer, uh, you can take that down, thanks. The primer not only taught the ABCs, but as you can see, it taught theology as well. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Even people who are not Christians or religious are at least vaguely familiar with the story of Genesis 3 that you heard. In popular understanding in the Garden of Eden, uh, Eve is tempted by the snake or the serpent to distrust or to disobey God's word about uh, to not eat from that one tree, right? The tree of good and evil, uh, but they do. And because they do, it results in, you know, uh, labor pains, hard toil, death, and expulsion from paradise. And, uh, and, and from that, from this short story, has developed this doctrine, this idea of original sin in the Western church, uh, thanks largely to uh, St. Augustine, and then later through the reformers of the 16th century. And most of it really comes from this one verse, this interpretation that Paul makes in Romans 5.12 that you heard. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, or all people, because all sinned. So through Adam, Paul writes, the twin problems of death and sin became humanity's reality. And so the doctrine of original sin is a way for us to try to understand how it is that we today, thousands of years later, are implicated in the sin of Adam or the fall of Adam. And over the centuries, again, you know, theologians and scholars have tried to figure out how this works. And uh, it seems like there are three primary ways that people have understood this idea. Uh, the scholar Douglas Moo organized them under the headings of imitation, infection, and inclusion, which I found uh, helpful. So uh, imitation, infection, and inclusion. So some have argued that it's unfair for us to be blamed for something somebody did thousands of years ago, right? If I steal something, I should be punished for that. That's fine. But I shouldn't be punished because my great-great-great-great-grandfather you know, stole a loaf of bread, right? That's his punishment, and that should have nothing to do with whatever punishment I receive. And so people have said, well, the only way we are implicated is we're not, right? We're only implicated if we sin, and we are responsible only for our sins. Others have argued that the nature of sin and our uh, connection is that our inclination towards sinning has been inherited like, like a gene or as you would like an infection, like you've caught this disease from just being a human being, right? That every successive generation, because in one sense, we were all in Adam, right, biologically, if you think about the genetic material. And with each successive generation, this inclination towards sin got passed on from generation to uh, generation, right? So it's, we, we, we've picked up this defective gene toward the inclination towards sin. Um, but I think Paul, uh, it seems to me, that he's thinking not in those two ways primarily here, if at all, but really thinking in terms of inclusion. That we are somehow included in Adam's sin because Adam is a representative of what it is to be a human being. So, for example, in Joshua 7, there is a story of a man named Achan. And he's a soldier who participated in the Battle of Jericho, and uh, the Israelites won a great victory over the city of Jericho, but as a part of the, uh, God's word for that battle was that they were not to take any spoils of war, that everything was to be destroyed. But Achan saw some gold and silver. He saw this beautiful cloak, and so, so he kept it for himself. He hid it. And because he did that, at the next battle, when they went against the, the city of Ai, 
Israel's armies were soundly defeated by an inferior army. And so Joshua and the, and the people were like, like, what the heck? You know, God said we're gonna, we should go and fight. God promised us victory. And we just got crushed. And so this is what God tells Joshua. He says, Israel has sinned. They have transmigrated covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings, right? So God says, the reason you lost is because Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant and so on. And it's interesting, it was one man. It was Achan. It wasn't that the whole army took the spoils of war. It was just Achan. But God says, Israel, all of you, the whole nation has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied about them. They, right? So it's this constant, right? There's this sense of communal reality that what one man does includes what the entire nation is a part of. And, and I think that's a sense of belonging that we don't fully appreciate anymore. It's an absent of humanity. He's more than just a whole He is what his names, Adam. Much of the creation story of Genesis uses this word Adam, talk about him this as representing a human being, mortal. So all of humanity is represented in Adam. And so to say that Adam fell is to say that humanity fell. And, th- and that's how Paul is using it here. He's a type. He's a representative that he's going to then uh, compare and contrast with Jesus Christ. And so the origin of sin rests in the decision of Adam as representative of humanity. And so that's why Paul doesn't bother to mention Eve or the serpent or anything like that, because it's Adam, the representative of all of us. And so sin is its original to who we are and unavoidable. So we are sinners in both senses. We are sinners because of the sin of Adam, because we are in Adam, and also because of the sins that we commit daily in our own lives. Uh, think of it this way. Imagine if the President of the United States and Congress declares war on North Korea. That means that a country is at war, and as a citizen of this country, I am also at war with North Korea, right? If I have a child who is born next week, that child will also be at war with North Korea. Even though that child had, didn't vote, even though, you know, had nothing to do with it, but because that child is born as a citizen of this country, because the country is at war, that child too is at war. Even if, you're, even if you oppose the war or voted against the war, you are still at war because you are part of this country, because the country is at war with this other country. Now suppose I, I sign up, well suppose I'm younger and I sign up, I join the army, and I go over there and I actually bear arms and I, and I fight. Then I'm not at war in a much fuller sense it doesn't mean I wasn't at war. I, I was at war, but now I'm at war in a much fuller sense. So I will be at war because of the actions of my government, as well as my own personal actions now of taking up arms for myself. And, and that's really this, this sense that Paul is getting at here. It's the story of humanity. We are sinners not simply because of the things that we might do, but because of our implication in the fall of humanity as represented in Adam and in his fall. You know, those of you who are parents, you know that none of you ever spent a single second teaching your children how to lie, how to steal, how to cheat, right? You don't do that. You don't do that because they know how to do that. 
Yes, even your kid, though the good one, right? They know how to do that without you giving them an example. And it's not because they see you setting a bad example that they're learning from. It's, it's part of their nature. It is. They know how to sin. We all know how to sin. It's who we are. Now, this is not to suggest that all your children or all human beings are devoid of any good or are pure evil or anything like that. We, we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image. We, we, we retain something of God's image and are still capable of doing good and beautiful things. But sin has corrupted our very ability to love God with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and spirit, and strength. And as I preached last time, we cannot choose God of our own free will because our very wills have been corrupted. David uh, Bisgrove uh, gives this illustration that if you were to, for example, put two bowls of food in front of a lion, right? If you put a bowl of raw meat and a bowl of, uh, I don't know, like Caesar salad, technically speaking, the lion has a choice. Theoretically, it could choose the Caesar salad, but it won't, obviously, right? Because its nature won't let it. Even though there is theoretically a choice, its nature will make it eat the meat. Um, Similarly, when Adam sinned, as our representative, our nature was corrupted or fell, and we cannot choose the good that we were created for. We cannot choose God freely because our ability to do that, our very nature, has been corrupted. And so the question that people always end up here then is, well, why would God do that? Why would God create a situation where such a terrible decision would be possible? Why did God create a situation where people could do these horrible things? Uh, Paul doesn't give us an explanation. And it is a question that is not easy to uh, answer. But for me, it, it just goes back to who God is. It goes back to the nature of God. One of the, the clearest things that we know about God is that God is love. And that God created us to love or for love. And the, and. I don't know that it has to be this way, but it is. That love must be given freely. That there must be a choice to love, otherwise it cannot be love. God could have created us in such a way that we had no choice but to love. But then would that be love? If someone, right, I know this is painful sometimes where, you know, you love someone, they don't love you back, right, when, when you've broken up or something like that, right? I, I know how painful that is, Right? But without that possibility, you can't really have love. If someone has to love you because they have no choice, I mean, you don't want that, right? Love has to be given freely. And so God wants that for us and if, because that's the highest good that we can have is to be able to love and to love freely. And so because of that, there has to be real choices, real options possible. So when God gave the command, do not eat from this tree, it's only real, or it only makes sense if a genuine choice was possible. God had to honor that choice, and that choice could not be coerced. And so that's what it is. So because of God's love, God created a world where choices really matter. Uh, he has not pre-programmed you know, his relationship with us so that we have no choice. There is genuine freedom because that's the only way that a real relationship and love makes sense. Adam chose wrong, and in his fall, we all fell.
But now, listen to the good news. That's not the end of the story. We are a part of a fallen world and a fallen humanity, and we add daily to its fallenness. But that is not the whole story. That is not the way it's supposed to be, and that is not the way it's going to be. And Paul goes on here to show, uh, which we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, the contrast between Adam, the first man, and Christ, the second Adam. Adam's single transgression led to the death of many, or to all. But he says, but how much more now God's grace shown in Jesus Christ will result in life. One man's disobedience led to death for all of humanity, but one man's obedience is now going to lead for life for all of humanity. One man's sin, one sin snowballed into this, this, all these transgressions. But Christ's one act of obedience will cancel out all those many transgressions. Adam's sin brought condemnation to the human race, but Christ's obedience will bring justification. Adam made many sinners. Christ will make many righteous. The sin imputed to us in Adam is now replaced by a far greater righteousness imputed to us in Christ Jesus. Original sin reminds us that we are all in the same boat, that we are no better than anyone else, that we lack the power to shape our own will by our own power alone. But thanks be to God, who through Jesus Christ, through grace, has declared us righteous and given us the gift of eternal life. So believe the good news and be at peace. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it is hard for us to understand uh, some of these ideas. Sometimes your word can be hard and difficult, but we want to trust you, God, that though, though we are fallen uh, in Adam and though we fall daily, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we want to cling to that truth. We want to build our foundation on the truth that you have loved us and that you have paid the price for us. So God, help us to know this hope. Make it more real in our lives. And in thankfulness to live a life that is worthy, that is pleasing, that demonstrates this truth that we have come to know. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, at this time, we want to receive uh, into membership of this congregation uh, those who've made a decision to commit themselves to our